My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. When we think of our life with the Messiah, what, what comes to mind? Well, we should recognize that he is, he is our life. Without him, you know, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We have the foretaste of, of the blessings. We have fellowship. We have just the joy, the, a heart that loves the scripture. All because of Messiah? What's that? All because of Messiah? All because of Messiah. Yeshua, Messiah, King of Kings, Lord of Lords, yo. Wednesday, May 22nd, 2019. This is Messiah Matters number 265. I got ants dive bombing me once again. My name is Caleb Hegg. And I recently cut my finger. <laughs> and I have this morning, I redressed it with a minion band aid because that's all we have. From uh, what's that movie? I don't Minions. remember what it's called. I'm Rob. Despicable Me. Despicable Me. Yeah, that's the one. It's a one-eyed little yellow dude. He's pretty cute. What up, man? It says more than meets the eye. <laughs> it's got a one. I feel like um, there's been dude, a lot of... I don't think it doesn't seem working. I'm trying to find episode 265 on here on our website, on our YouTube. Uh, it's the live stream. Oh, there it is. Okay, got it. Not that um, I'm going to open it. I just have it ready for that time mm-hmm. when I, yeah. when the, the gates open. I know, and this, and this horse races. By the way, for everyone out there, I know that Rob's uh, audio and video keeps jumping off and then together again. But uh, there's nothing we can do about it. We've tried. Yeah, as it heats up in this office, you know, because now we're starting to late spring or entering into summer. We don't know why, but the ants are in abundance once again. And yes, I know, the chat room will explode now with natural remedies of of healing oils to put on my walls to keep the ants out. I get it. Trust me, we've tried it. Um, yeah, they're everywhere. And we I think keep- it's, it's allowing you to fulfill what King Solomon said in all his wisdom to study the ants. Oh, no. So they're coming to your library. They're coming to your study. You don't even have to go outside to study the ants. So uh, last week, (laughs) sorry, I'm just moving on from that. That, Your dad jokes are beyond. Uh, Last week we talked about slavery. It was probably one of the more controversial shows that we uh, we ever put out. Um, YouTube hated it. They they wouldn't monetize the episode. <laughs> uh, we got some good comments on that last show. So if you want to see the comments, go to uh, two episode two sixty. It's because we use the words. What flagged it? Yeah, probably slavery. I would I would assume in the audio because we didn't title it that way. Anyway, no, no, they they have yeah. bots to go through and listen for words, trigger words. I'm sure. Anyway. Um, so uh, Rob read a book this last week. <laughs> Go for it. 
It's, it's a follow up. Ever finished. It's it's a follow up to last week's. Oh last oh yeah. Show. So I was, uh, you know, I like I dabble in American Revolution history. Dabble, like sure. Stick my toe, my big toe in the water, kind of thing. I really, I can't do it. You know why? Why? I find all that history is one of my favorite subjects. Now I like all sorts of history. Everything. I mean. I even like, you know, modern history, the 1980s, 1990s, what was going on in the Reagan administration, all that kind of stuff. I, I really like, you know, like reading about all that kind of stuff. But when I start in on that stuff, you know, like I got this book on on the uh, on, you know, the air traffic controller controversy in the in the 80s. The book was like this. It was like a phone book. Right. Well, I start in on it and I'm just captivated, like can't put the book down. Love it. Right. I get about 150 pages in and I realize I haven't read anything else. And it's been a week. <laughs> You've been, you're, you're entirely overtaken by the gravity of this. Book. All theology is put to the side. And then I'm like, well, I'm sure this is useful in some way. If I want to debate politics or something with someone, which I hate, I hate politics. I'm not going to debate politics and I really don't care. So therefore I have to put it down and pick up what really matters. Okay, anyway, so back to this. <laughs> Thomas Paine. <laughs> he wrote, in 1775, he wrote an essay called oh, African Slavery in America. There's people out there doing, finally, Rob just, like, just took it over. <laughs> if there's an essay you can read, it's good, by Thomas Paine, 1775, African Slavery in America. And it says, it's addressed to Americans. And it begins, I'll just read with the beginning. That some desperate wretches would be willing to steal and enslave men by violence and murder for gain is rather lamentable than strange. But, but that many civilized, nay, Christianized people should approve and be concerned in this savage practice is surprising, uh, etc. So he distinguishes between uh, slavery, as described in, in the Torah and in the Bible generally, over against what's happening Right. in late 18th century in the colonies. And he says they're night and day. You can't look at them the same way. And of course, it's. I think it's worthwhile reading uh, for its own sake, for the historical sense. But you know, we will also appreciate, though, how he does kind of have a supersessionist reading that the church kind of is the natural, obvious replacement of Israel. And there's a little bit of that in there. Homeschooling families... Read Thomas Paine's African Slavery in America, 1775. Let me just tell you. There's a is link. that is that uh, there, is there, that moonshine? No, there's a link to it in the show notes. <laughs> so if you receive the if you receive the show notes, you got a link to it. And by the way, yes, I know that uh, I know that we need to uh, update our our sign up form for our show notes. But uh, for those who for the few who are signed up to our show notes, there's a link. What do you mean there. we need to update it? Uh, well, okay. There, it's kind of technical. There was a sign up. Never form. mind. We'll yeah. talk about it later. Exactly. Anyway, we show we, to do. Yeah, we've already kicked it. We've already kicked the can around the block a couple times. That's right. Uh, okay, so that takes care of that. I, we have. It's interesting how we kind of have our show constructed this week. I feel like there was a lot of planning that went into this show. However, I don't no, know. No, I can't remember what we were going to talk Maybe about. Maybe not. Well, okay. So 
There's a, I'm high connectivity. To me, it's all connected. Ultimately, if we sure. talk about it long enough, we'll come back. Okay, let's go to uh, Zane's question. Oh, Zane, yeah. write, Zane writes in. He says, uh, I, I, read the, I write these things to you, and he's, he's talking about... Uh, actually, I don't even have Zane's comment here. Do you have his comment in front of you? Uh, let me see if I can find it. Uh, yeah, it's funny. I got an email from Zane saying, hey, Caleb won't answer my question. <laughs> I didn't <laughs> get it. I never got it. And I told him. I said, yeah, I think, I think he said he never got it. So... He, he's basically, it's, hey, Caleb, because <laughs> he forwarded it to me. He says, here it is. First John 2, 27. First John 2, 27. And this is, and then following. I should probably pull it up. Uh, um, yeah. And following, I didn't get the end following part. Sorry. Okay, keep going. Oh, that's all right. That's all right. And he asks about it. Well, he says specifically, as it relates to church structure, leadership, and individual discipline, uh, being under the authority of Scripture and biblical leadership and community. In other words, how do we understand this and um, this Scripture? So let's read it. It says, As for you, the anointing which you received from him abides in you, and you have no need for anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you abide in him. Um, so that's the the idea here is that you don't need any teachers. How do we understand this? And I just replied, and as Zane already was aware, the verse right before that, First uh, John two twenty six. These things I have written to you concerning those who are trying to deceive you. Right. So the picture here is um, a context where John is writing an epistle to encourage them, build up their faith, help them re uh, remember what their priorities are, etc. And but understanding that there are at present people trying to lead that community astray, and so that's the context wherein he's saying, "Look, you already have the core faith." And because you have the gift of the Holy Spirit, you have the the core uh, measure of faith. That is your core uh, measuring uh, device, basically. Weights I mean, you're measures. going to be able to... <laughs> it, is from, it is from who you are in Yeshua that you have the wisdom and understanding and patience, all the fruits of the Spirit, whereby you discern what is true and recognize what is evil, what is a lie, and you're able to reject it. Um, this doesn't mean that you don't need any teachers ever, to, right? That's not the point, because obviously John himself is writing a, in a letter um, at, from a perspective or from a, a position of authority, Right. Um, and he expects the audience, the recipients of his letter, to read and believe and trust him as an authoritative voice in and brother in the faith. Um, so with respect to uh, Zane's uh, question about how does this scripture um, help us or inform us with respect to 
the conundrum of Hebrew roots, what we call Hebrew roots teachers that have all sorts of crazy teachings. Is there any way to hold them accountable if they just say, well, you know, I just have this anointing and I, uh, because of this anointing, you can't correct me because I already know, I know what I know. I, I hope I'm not uh, misrepresenting Zane's question there. Okay, but, hang on just a sec. Because I, I, I um, for those who don't have one of these, you should pick one up from Torah Resource. Uh, TorahResource.com. Go to the store. You can find it in books. This is my father's commentary. Commentary on the Johannine Epistles 1, 2, and 3. And I think that he does a good job of summing this up. He says, And you have no need for anyone to teach you. This statement must obviously be understood and interpreted with the immediate context. John is not teaching that once a person comes to faith and is thereby endowed with the indwelling Spirit of God, he or she suddenly knows everything necessary and is no longer in need of teaching. Indeed, John, in writing this very epistle, is functioning as a teacher for those who were to receive to receive it rather wow look okay pause i haven't read your dad's commentary but basically he's saying much in a much clearer english than i the same point well i think it was (laughs) almost verbatim you guys are on you guys are on the same track rather what john is emphasizing is that in the core issue of yeshua that he is the messiah promised and prophesied by israel's prophets the one and only son of god and savior of sinners they need no one to teach them this core truth for not only have they fully received this teaching from john and others they have likewise demonstrated that they have been born again by receiving the truth about Yeshua and committing themselves to him in faith. And I think the exact same thing is happening in the Torah movement today. Anyone and incarnation come- is part of that, right? Because the, Absolutely. the epistle begins with, we have the handled, the word of life. What is this? Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, we have people in the Hebrew roots uh, and the Torah movement today who deny the deity of the Messiah, reject the Trinity doctrine, um, you know, uh, try to, to oppose the 66-book canon. Heresy. You have no need to learn from these people. You know, we get these emails, too, of, you know, we got one recently. And we, Yeshua is like, or drawing something from later rabbinic mythology. Right, right. He's Metatron. Yeah, he's exactly. Some angel or whatever. And, you know, in the Torah movement, you got people popping up constantly. We get these emails, and and, uh, this isn't to put anyone down at all, but we get emails often. I would say probably two, maybe three a month that that say, hey, I I found XYZ teacher, this teacher, this new teacher, and he's associated with this ministry or whatever, and here's a video of him teaching. Something doesn't feel right about this teacher. But one of the questions that I have is, why in the world are people looking for new teachers? I think people get on the internet and they they watch a YouTube video and then there's clickbait in the side of like, oh, mystery of the Nephilim, <laughs> right? But, but <laughs> hundred thousand you know, views. But you but, know, it must be. But but to me, don't that you is, think that happens? Yes, I, mean, I, just, I do think that happens. But the the point is, is why are people concerning themselves with these new teachers who are teaching things that don't sit right with okay, them? Okay, so the question then, in my view, is even sharper. It's are we responsible are we being good stewards of our own attention and our own time i think it, i think it's even deeper than that i think okay. it com- I, com- I think it comes from a lack of community if if you are locked into a solid theological community with good elders good teachers then 
then the, you can say to those teachers, then you're going to those teachers and then saying, you just naturally not look at that other stuff. Yeah, I don't. It's not necessarily that, that you don't look at it. It's that you say this is this is nonsense. Or you, I'm, that's what I mean. You don't invest. You just like. Yeah, of course. I I have a you like know blink. It's like Malcolm Gladwell blink. Like right, the person who's an expert or the one they always use is the the counterfeit experts. Right, they know what real money looks like so well. Right, it's like. When you, when, they don't need to study it. And 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 I would even go one fe, uh, step further. It's not. Ju- I mean, yes, it is a community issue. In other words, if I have a good teacher or teachers I'm learning from in the community, we're coming together, we're studying the Bible together. I'm being fed richly from the Word of God because of the people that are around me in community. Then I'm not out looking for all these other pieces of rotten fruit. That's number one. But number two is if I also uh, attach myself to good theological teaching in other areas of my life. So for instance, I have probably four or five podcasts that I go to on a regular basis because I know that the people who are teaching are, are theologically sound. So I'm listening to that and hearing okay, that so throughout what I hear my week. you saying is this. It's like it's like this. It's like people who are in community are gathering. There's people uh, with taking care to prepare the meal, the food. Everybody comes together and they all enjoy the food together. Then but the outskirts are the people who who refuse to go in. And what they're left with is going through the dumpster. Exactly. But, and but it's here, like, why are you so happy with dumpster diving? Don't get me wrong. I mean, look, we as believers, I think we are. I think there's people who have found us through dumpers, dumpster diving. Oh, I'm sure. But that's just it. Is that you know what? I would expect that if somebody's listening to us and they're they and they are believers, they they should be locked into a community somewhere. And if they hear something that we say that they that doesn't sit right with them, what should they do? Go to their Bibles, go to their leaders, check it out with their community, see what, wrestle with it. That's fine with me. You don't have to agree with us. But the point is, is that what will, what the, there are steps in place when in a community to try to wrestle with the text of scripture. That's what a community does. And not only that, but you know, and look, I I know that there are theological problems with certain people that I'm about to mention, but I, the, the podcast that I go to on a regular basis Renewing Your Mind by Ligonier Ministries. Those guys are solid. I mean, theologically, they're, they are very on point. Now, granted, I disagree with them on certain parts of, you know, the festivals, things like this, keeping a kosher diet. Okay, fair enough. And and yes, you have to be ready for that kind of thing. Renewing or, uh, a Desiring God, John Piper. I mean, that guy loves the Lord. And when you listen, you know, when you're being fed, now granted, I've had to turn off some of John Piper's sermons because I disagree. But when you're being fed from a theological background of 66 book canon, from deity of the Messiah, from... But here's what, even to be being fed, I would just say, look, here's maybe another way to look at it. It's not that John Piper is providing food for you. What it is, it's he's in the word of God and he's teaching from the word of God and it's, and the Holy spirit is quickening that, which is true that you already know is true from right. your studies. And that's the edification. And so, but those studies, it's but, good but, that you have a check, but my the check study, that you have is not because, Oh, I, I want to keep on to, I want to hold on to my sin. And he, if I listen to this guy, right. I, it's what you're saying is that I have also studied the word and I have core convictions in this particular arena. And I, he needs to go study some more at that point. Well, and not only that, but my studies have, a lot of my study has come from community. 
In other words, yeah. and this still happens, you know, in our group, somebody will come and say, uh, you know, I heard this this week. What do we think about, you know, can we talk about this? Well, and what if what if John Piper spent, if he said, okay, you know what, for a whole year, I'm going to attend, I'm just going to live a, a messianic lifestyle with a messianic community just for a year. And then at the end of the year, I'm going to like write a journal about. You want me to be honest? I think he'd be sorely disappointed. And I think we'd be disappointed too, because I think the majority, depending on where he went, the majority of messy, quote unquote, messianic and Hebrew roots. I think that he would be turned off. Oh, he'd be pulling his hair out. Oh, he right. doesn't have much hair left anyway, but he'd be pulling, he'd grow hair just so we could pull it out. <laughs> I think if you found a, a good yeah, reform, good reformed Torah observant community, <laughs> and there's a, there's a couple of them out there, right? Hard, ha, have them spend a year at Heart of Messiah in Spokane. That that would do them. That would that would do. You know, I he'd, think he'd I think straighten this out. Well, I think both would. I think I think there would be benefit from both sides. When you have people who genuinely and truly f- love the Lord, want to follow the Lord, and are indwelled by the Holy Spirit, it's not uh, you're wrong and I'm right. It's a how do we learn from each other? How can I let's, grow let's, from these let's people? Let's get together, read the scriptures, sing, and eat. Right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And rejoice. Yeah, you're right. Moonshine. Okay. Um, people in the uh, people who listen to this and don't see this are going to wonder what in the world we're talking about. Okay. Um, let's. Uh, uh, this is important. We have a new executive producer. Sue Levy, I hope I'm saying that right, from Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Hi, Sue. Hi, Sue. I met Sue for the first time in November. Yes. I think I met her face-to-face for the first time last November, and she was just a delight. Uh, She writes in, and uh, she has utilized two points of of the executive producership that most people do not. Wow, cool. And those two points are, first of all, a note, which we will read here in just a second and also well the note explains the rest of it can you use new sound clips you don't yet have i'm thinking about being a producer i would actually use my sound clips because we offer this service for our producers which for some reason not a lot of people do weird i'm totally bummed you can't use the old rob's gematria clip for those who didn't tune uh, tune in last week uh it's because of copyright infringement for the plus uh, we kind of beat that yeah, we beat horse. it. That's that that horse is dead. Uh, anyway, she says so classic. So I've been pursuing, oh, perusing your sound clips rather. Sorry, uh, the Vincini clip about Socrates is okay, and we'll play that for you real quick. So that you Socrates. Know Let me put it this way: Have you ever heard of Plato, Aristotle, Socrates, morons? Anyway, but what Socrates? The, yeah, Socrates. Haven't you ever seen Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure? Anyway, never mind. Oh, does he call it so crazy? So crazy. There's a clip. Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. (laughs) But one of the most eye-rolling responses I've ever heard to Torah observance is, but we're under the new covenant, end quote. Last year, we went through your dad's videos, uh, video study on the new covenant, and I was going to use this Inigo Montoya clip as a promo. And she gives a link, which we will use. We will play this for her since she became an uh, executive producer We'll actually use this clip in a second. Number two, your mom goes to college is just awesome because uh, my kids 
used to say that a lot. And if you don't know what she's talking That's about. That's already been cited in our household this morning. Yes. My wife is, is homeschooling our our nephew. <laughs> and I, it's already, your mom goes to college. So uh, Carrie Hansen is, uh, hang on just a sec. Let's pause. Let's pause in the telling of the uh, message here. Because in the uh, in the chat room, people are wondering about the uh, the podcast that I, that I mentioned. I listen to four podcasts on a regular basis. And this does not include my Audible account, which I do pay for and love. I love my Audible account and I, I listen to uh, uh, books, spoken books all the time. Um, but the the podcasts that I try to listen to are um, knowing, what is it, knowing, anyway, Alistair Begg's uh, podcast. I listen to that every once in a while. John Piper, Desiring God, Renewing Your Mind, R.C. Sproul and Ligonier Ministries. And then um, what's the last one? Every once in a while, I'll pick up uh, a MacArthur uh, podcast and listen to it. But I, I do also listen to OnScript. If you don't, it's a little bit more scholarly, but OnScript is fantastic. It's uh, it's not really edifying in terms of feeding your soul. It's more scholarly. It's in like terms SBL of, kind of thing. Right, exactly. But OnScript is a lot of fun to listen to. Okay, let's get back to the message. Uh, you have a decent clip from Spinal Tap. It's such a fine line between stupid and, and clever. Yeah, it's just clever. a little turnabout. Uh, but Rob Reiner and Christopher Guest uh, ad-libbing these go to 11 is just classic. Common sense versus resolute confusion. Or at least, that's how I see it. It's too long, I know, but maybe you can figure out something. Well, since uh, Sue became a, uh, a executive producer, I took her 56-second clip and I pared it down. So uh, thank you very much for becoming an executive producer. Sue, here are your clips. If you can see, yeah. the numbers all go to 11. Most of 11 and then amps go up to 10. Exactly. Most, most blokes, you're going to be playing at 10. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Your mom goes to college. You keep using the horn. I don't think it means what you think it means. You've been blessed. You too can have clips played for you on air. Just become an executive producer. Okay, you can do that on our website, by the way. Now let's go to an audio clip. We have this audio clip. Now, I should explain this a little bit. There was two audio clips. There was two message machine uh, recordings. It was it was classic. I heard a lot of like my wife and me, like because the wife calls and and poses the question. I was wondering about this. Can you please respond to this? And then like twenty five seconds later, we get second call from husband, <laughs> and I can hear the conversation that went on. Like you didn't give him the biblical ref- the Bible reference, you know, and you. You didn't tell him X, Y, Z, hang on, I'll just call myself. And so I, I, I clipped his message a little bit, and, and this is what we have. Yes, uh, Rob and Caleb. I am calling for clarification on Exodus 20, verse 4, on do not make for yourself any carved image or anything in the likeness. Reading the context, I know it's talking about idols, but my, uh, the problem I'm having is the word for graven image speaks directly to idols, but then it says, or any likeness of anything in the heavens or earth or under the earth. And that is why me and my wife were 
we're just struggling to see if action figures or anything that is made in the image of creation is a problem. Pictures, flowers, animals, action figures, anything like that. Okay, so the uh, let's read the passage real quick. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water underneath the earth. Okay. Uh, do you want me to go first or you want you want to go first? You go. Go for it. Okay, well, I think that the second statement, carved image or any likeness, I think it still relates. It's still being uh, uh, interpreted by the first statement. And the reason why is because we know within Scripture that God commands the children of Israel to create images. There was the golden serpent, right? The serpent on the stick. It wasn't um, golden. It was, what was it? It was, gold, I don't know. It was something. It was a serpent. It was bronze. Bronze. No, shit. Yeah, that's all right. But um, there were golden um, cherubim. That's right? right. Golden cherubim. There was angels on the, do- on, the, on the doors and the walls of the temple that Solomon built. Uh, there were oxen that, that uh, hold up the, uh, the altar of the Lord in the temple. Right. So obviously it can't mean that you're not allowed to make any likeness at all. The second statement is clarified by the first statement. Now, obviously, you're still going to deal with heart issues, right? Because Israel comes and worships the bronze serpent, right? They fall to their own hearts, to their own evil inclination. Their, uh, you know, the sin nature. By taking something that God has made holy... And turning it into a false god slash idol. Thoughts? Oh, I think you're right. And the the phrasing there is um, particular in that. Oops, I moved it. Let me see. I had it here. Exodus twenty. Um, like literally, it's starting with verse four. You will not make. For yourselves a pestle and that's that word like a something specifically for idolatry and then there's an and of uh the whole tamuna right and so that's where our bibles will usually say or um but you could read the whole tamuna asher bashamayim so and and any image which is in the heavens above or which is in the earth below or which is in the waters below the earth, lo tishachavelahim, you will not bow down to them. So it's not that images don't exist. It's that those are not to be bowed down to. Below ta'avdeim, you will not serve them. So the core discernment here in verse 5 is, is key Anochi Adonai Elohecha, because I am Adonai your God. Um, and it goes on to describe who he is. And the, the core mistake people are making, the core error of idolatry, is, is looking at things that are created and worshiping them as if they are gods. Right. Um, so... This week, is it this week in our, is our Torah portion for the one year? We're in Jeremiah 16 and 17. It says, will a man make Elohim 
Can Adam, can an Adam make an Elohim? No, it's a low Elohim. It's not an Elohim. So that's in the time of Jeremiah. And then even the Apostle Paul writes about idols. And he says, well, we know that idols are nothing. They're not really a God, but for the conscience of the person who thinks it is, we have to be aware that there's people who actually are superstitious. Well, I think that's what, that's probably the word I would use today is like, that's someone who's superstitious is someone who's um, maybe not exact. That might not be the exact right word. So we have but two the image back to my, my final point, And then I'll, I'll kick it back over again is that uh, verse four and five of Exodus 20 is not saying you can't have anything that looks like something. It's saying that you're not to make an idol. So you don't make something. If you made something that looked like a person in order for it to serve as a pestle, as an idol, then that's forbidden, right? You don't make something to worship it because God cannot, you know, he's the creator, um, not a creation. And then any image of anything are never to be bowed down to or, or worshiped. Uh, we see this commandment in, uh, in Islam taken really to the extreme, at least in certain streams, uh, strains of Islam, where in all the architecture, for example, there's only fancy geometry, geometric shapes built into the architecture, but no images. Right. And then, and then the beautification of the calligraphy to try to also um, uh, explore the possibilities of using lines and certain designs that have a beauty about them or aesthetic, although I think the Dome of the Rock is totally ugly. Um, the idea is that, no images, right. because, they're, because uh, they take it that way. And so I'll stop, go. Maybe you're right. Maybe I'm right. Of course I'm right. I think that uh, there's some good conversation going on in the, or some good questions in the uh, chat room. What about the Jesus fish? And then someone else says, what about the cross imaging? Uh, the Jesus fish and the cross uh, were both early Christian iconography found in, uh, in and on churches or places where believers... Um, uh, Even talk, older than that about. is the menorah. Right, right. You know, this issue came up when the, when the Hasmoneans started printing coins. Now, Caleb already mentioned how Solomon's Temple had innovations that were not in the Mishkan originally, right? right. Everything was bigger, but you also had the oxen carrying the labor and all this stuff. Um, but in the Herod's Temple, we know that there were, or even prior to Herod's Temple, well, actually, I don't know to what degree. We know for sure Herod's Temple had a bunch of giant images and stuff like that woven into the, the curtains. Josephus writes all about that the Zodiac, things like that. Um, but the coins from the Maccabean era, and that is pre-Herodian temple, right? right. So it's, it's second temple, but it's before Herod's uh, building up of the complex. They were printing coins, and they would have like pomegranate, shofar, you know, different things. And at some point, a, Hasmo a Hasmonean king, remember they were priests, but they adopted kingship for themselves, put a face on it on the coin, which was like, Oh, right. Like, because that's what Gentiles do is they put, they put, uh, you know, the silhouette outline right. of a face. Like you have those from Alexander the great and, uh, per, you know, for even back into Persia. Um, and, and not only that, if, if you've looked at cylinder seals, so we do have, even though nothing from the first temple survives, we have the cylinder seals 
that archaeologists keep finding in Jerusalem with different names like Isaiah and, and all these really cool names in Paleo-Hebrew script. Sometimes those, those have like little scarabs, beetles on them, you know, the scarab with the wings, Egyptian iconography. Um, so is this, was this worship of, you know, idolatrous worship? In some of the cases, I guess it could have been because we know that the prophets throughout ancient Israel were always railing against the idolatry. And why were they doing it? It must have been present. If no one was being idolatrous, they wouldn't, the Lord would have not have raised up those prophets to, to, to uh, preach against it. You know, when, uh, so in, I want to get to a couple of things in the chat room here. In terms of the image of the cross, I, I know that a lot of people in the Torah movement have rejected the image of the cross, right? In terms of this is a Roman Catholic or whatever. Um, it's, you know, all, all sorts of things. It's a, it's a symbol of death. It's not, but because of my Audible account, I recently, per, uh, with one of my credits, I recently got The Day the Revolution Began by N.T. Wright. And he talks about the early iconography of the uh, Christian movement and that the cross was a symbol of, yes, it was a symbol of death. And why would we want to reflect a symbol of death? But the point is, is that Christ died on this symbol of death and turned it around and made it through that symbol of death brought life. And his explanation of the, uh, of the, the turning of this symbol from death into what brings people eternal life was just a beautiful, beautiful uh, explanation. Does he get into the, in that book, because I, I haven't read that one, um, the debate about what staros means. Does it mean execution stake, or does it mean, like, cross? Because there's sometimes, you know, you hear translations that say execution stake rather than cross. Um, and I think it was the Jehovah's Witnesses really pushed that in the late 1800s, if I remember right, that that it's just a pole. Um like a vertical pole, yeah, and there's with people, with arms above yeah, like there's, that. There's people who, but he doesn't he doesn't get into it. Okay. Um, so Vicky wants to know what an Audible account is. I just put a link in there for you. Audible is a uh, a it's just Audible books. It's a huge catalog. Books being read. Yeah, books being around. read, and and basically what happens is you pay a monthly fee. I think it's fourteen ninety nine a month, and then you get one credit a month for free. So basically you're buying, and if you look at the price of the books, of the Audible books, they're, you know, sometimes $60. Well, a credit will buy any book. So for instance, I downloaded, I purchased Calvin's Institutes, 68 hours of Audible. Now, do you have that only for those, for that month? Here, we're asking questions about a, a product. Here no, 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 Audible. no. Once you buy, once you purchase, and you get, I think you get two free credits when you sign up. Once you, and, and you can cancel at any time. Once you sign up, if you purchase a book, you have it in perpetuity forever, even if you cancel okay. your account. And that's that's what really hooked me because I thought, okay, well, I get two free books. And oh, there was, for fourteen bucks, yeah, you can. What kind of book can you? The reason I signed up. That? The reason I signed up is because the first book, the first book I I searched for was Brant Petrie, Jesus in the Last Supper, and they had it. Now I didn't buy it because I own it, but. I thought, okay, if they have You're like some, if that's there, if that's there, what else do they have? Um, yeah. So anyway, um, the, I use my Audible account constantly because now I've I've 
I've had it for maybe three months. They gave me two free credits, so I have five books in there. One of those books is Calvin's Institute. Like I said, 68 hours of, of audio. Um, and so I can. it's nice because if you listen to it on your phone, every time you open your phone, it, it basically saves your spot. And you can bookmark places too, so you can go back to places. Anyway, I love it. Um, yeah, and now other people have, have uh, said other things like, uh, Library Vox is great. I wonder if that's a paid paid service. Anyway, probably similar. Yeah, probably similar. Similar. Um, but back to the point of the cross, and then we'll then I'll address the the uh, um, I'll address the crucifixion or the crucifix rather. Uh, the sign of the cross and the way that N.T. Wright describes it is uh, is a powerful and uh, wonderful explanation of why the cross became iconography for the Christian church. Whether or not that is something that you would ever wear or something that you would uh, you would use as iconography yourself, that I think is up to you and uh, and up to uh, your family. Um, so there's that. He says it's free. And Calvin's Institutes is free on li- Library Vox. I'll have to check it out. Um, anyway, with that said, what about the crucifix? Now, this is, I think, a little bit different. And the reason why is because the crucifix is often used in worship within the Roman Catholic Church. Some people would say so is the cross. But the cross, I think, is a universal Christian sign. In other words, the, the cross started in the early first century being used as a uh, Christian symbol, and it goes cross. It goes across denominations. Um, it's not, it, and I mean, I suppose you could say the same thing about the crucifix. If somebody has a crucifix and doesn't doesn't uh, worship it, but why a crucifix? It seems that there, uh, in most cases, people think that the crucifix brings some kind of power with it, or um, is even worshipped. Right, I know. In the, I've never been to a, a Roman Catholic mass. However, I've I've seen some parts of them on YouTube. I know that uh, in one of the monasteries I was looking at, they actually turn towards the different crucifixes on the walls and pray to different, you know. And so, to me, that's idolatry. Um, so I I would I personally would stay away from from a crucifix. Personally, I don't think there's anything wrong with the fish, um, the the ex, exuth, exus. I can't talk. Um, anyway, um, and the reason one of the places I was at, uh, a little uh, what they, they, it was a halafa shop up in Safed in Israel, mm-hmm. where you have all, it's you know kosher mahadarin, right? So it's like all these you know super devout Jews are eating there, and they right. had a the little thing on the wall with a little saying from a famous rabbi, and it had little little fish. Oh really? Yeah, and I asked them about the fish. I was like, "Oh my goodness!" And they, I said, uh, uh, "Why are there da- why are there dagim, right? Why are there fish on here?" And they said, "Because it's uh, of uh, because of fruitfulness and multiplication and abundance." And uh, so interesting. We had an interesting conversation there. But yeah, you know. Yeah, and uh, and Michael. How about, makes, how about a photograph? Ma- Michael makes a good point uh, about the crucifix. He says they kissed the feet of the crucifix. Mike was uh, was in the Roman Catholic Church before he uh, before he came to the Lord. He, he says Jesus is not on the cross any anymore. No crucifix. Good point. The, the cross is empty. That's exactly right. As is the grave. Yep. 
And then Helen asks, kissing the Torah, parading it. We've talked about this before. Hang on, I got a sound clip for that. Um, uh, it's too late now, isn't it? I can't believe we already discussed this! The, po uh, the, the point of parading the, the uh, crucifix around is multifaceted. There's a lot of symbolism there. I think that that is up to each community and how they want to, uh, how they want to address that. The symbolism of this, we'll do, explain it one more time quickly. Um, the Torah scroll is always up. And when the person, the, the, the person, the Hagba goes up and grabs the Torah, they're representative of Moses who goes up onto the mountain, grabs the, gets the uh, Ten Commandments and comes down. He comes down into the, into the uh, congregation. The congregation, a lot of the times the children will follow the Torah scroll. People touch the Torah scroll and put it to their lips. That's to uh, symbolize that we always want the words of God, the Torah, on our lips and on our mouth. Um, and then he takes it back up and reads it. Now, I am not, I'm not advocating or not advocating for that. That is up to each community. And I think that these come down to community rules. If people see that as giving too much honor and, and glory to the Torah, that is totally up to them. If people want to uh, want to see the symbolism, I think that's fine too. I will admit that I think that if somebody is a believer, a Christian who comes into a, a uh, Torah observant congregation that is, is more rabbinical and does things like that, and they're not, they're not described or explained to that person, it looks very odd. It looks, uh, it looks very bordering on idolatrous. That is not to say it is. I'm just saying that's, that's what it looks like, I think, to people who are unaware of the symbolism. So I think that explaining those kind of things, um, if you're going to have them, is very important. Thoughts? Nope. Sounds good. Somebody says, so Jesus picture. There is no Jesus picture. <laughs> no, maybe what they mean is a I picture. Know. I know oh. what they mean. I mean, once again, he has no stately form or majesty that that we should look upon him. There's reasons why there's no there there were no portraits of of Yeshua when he was on Earth. Nobody sat down and and made a, a charcoal drawing of him. He didn't. Sit, he just couldn't sit still long enough. Oh, is that it? They're like, hey, Jesus, can you come over? Oh, wait, it wasn't a phone call though. It was like, hey, can I make a you know I'm going to finish Caesar next week, and then after that I have an opening. I think that this, but I think the reason that I think the reason that it says no stately form of majesty is because, in other words, he wasn't this super beautiful person. And I think one of the reasons why is because God knew the the heart of the people, and the heart of the people is to worship something. If we had pictures of Yeshua, I think even more people than already worship drawings would worship his picture. So no, I, I say no. One time in my sukkah, I put up a picture. It was a blank white piece of paper in a frame. And it said Yeshua. Yeshua at the transfiguration. Yeah, and then, then underneath it, I had the verse, no stately form of majesty. Oh, I thought it was going to be like, <laughs> and he turned to light, you know. But I mean, the, the, my point was, is that we don't have a picture of Yeshua. And, and what we have is the Holy Spirit to indwell us. He lives in, in us through the Holy Spirit. You know, it's, you know, Orthodox will put pictures of their famous rabbis up in their homes and um, photographs or pictures, you know. And so I've, I've always wondered, is that similar? And, you know, like even the Dura, uh, 
what is it called? Dura Ropos uh, Synagogue from, you know, late antiquity. I think it's in Syria. Um, it has, it was a Jewish synagogue, but it has pictures of Moses and Jonah and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And a lot of the mosaics in, in the land of Israel from synagogues from the, you know, the 400s to the 700s have all manner of imagery in them. And so you wonder, like, well, if this is a Jewish synagogue, if they, you know, read the Torah here and taught God's word, what are these images doing here? And we have images of the carvings of the menorah back into the, you know, from for the first century. Um, so, yeah. It's, okay, uh, hang on. I'll tell you what. Jump into the chat room. Vicky says, <clears throat> pardon me, I have something in my my chest here. Um, Vicky says, I think we sort of skirted the Torah parade. I'm not sure if she means us or if she means like her community. I don't think a scroll or a picture or a crucifix is correct. Well, what is innately wrong with a, a scroll? That was the form of, of, uh, of transmitting literature for a very, very long time. So I don't think that, the, I mean, that would be like saying a, a book is wrong. I wouldn't say that there's anything innately wrong with a scroll. There's nothing innately wrong with a picture. Um, I do, I, she doesn't mean anything wrong with a scroll, I don't think. She just means you uh, worshiping a scroll, maybe, or like holding it in a... Worshiping anything except for the, the Almighty God is wrong, and that's idolatry. Anything that turns to idolatry is wrong for you. But the thing is, is that if I start worshiping, you know... It, if I well, here's the other thing. Are, are, if we would say that Islam is an idolatrous religion, which, of course, someone who's Islamic would would not say that. But they, you know, if you're in a strain where there's no images at all, does that mean they're not idolater, idolaters? Yeah, Vicky uh, clarifies. She says that what I meant was not correct to worship. Yeah, but once again, I think that anything that is worshipped besides the living God is wrong. Now, that doesn't look. I might enjoy going to the beach and sitting under a palm tree. There's nothing wrong with that. That palm tree is not bad for me. I like the shade. I leave and some other guy comes along and worships the palm tree. That's wrong. The palm tree is wrong for him, but it's not wrong for me. Why? Because he it's a heart issue. He's worshiping the palm tree. I'm finding shade from the palm tree. He's worshiping it. Right, the same thing can happen. I mean, people have worshipped the the stars, the moon, the sun. There's uh, God created these things. There's obviously not anything that is uh, like you know wrong, innately wrong with the sun, the moon, and the stars. As soon as somebody worships them, then that's wrong. That's a heart issue, and that's my point. So I agree with you, Vicky. I think that at any time that someone places the the Torah scroll, a picture, a crucifix anything into a place of, of esteem where they honor it as anything deistic or place it in a, in a place of glory that only God should have, then yes, this is wrong. And interestingly, I think that one of the things that the Torah movement has done in, in some cases, not across the board and maybe not even a majority, but some people in the Torah movement have placed the Torah in a place above the gospel. That, to me, is wrong. And, and this is where I think a lot of the Christian, the mainstream Christian church, finds a push against the Torah movement. 
you know, it's not necessarily that uh, that there's anything wrong with keeping the commands of God. It's that there's been this place of of glory given to the Torah when it's the one who created the Torah that deserves the glory, right? It's the gospel message. Now, that's not to discount the fact that we should keep the commands of God and that and that we love keeping that we love the Lord and therefore we love what He has given us in the Torah. But to but often the the gospel is taken from here and put to the side, so that the debate over the the Torah can be can be uh, front and center. And I think that 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 is where I think the Torah movement has gone seriously awry. Right. What do you think? That sounds good to me. Well, do we have time to address Matthew 21, 33 through 43? Probably not. Well, let, why not? Okay, go for it. We got an email from, I'm going to have to pull it up, though, to uh, to read it. We, uh, this was from one of our uh, longtime executive producer contributors, uh, Gary E. Uh, read that to me again, Matthew 20. It's Matthew 21, 33 through 43. This is the um, parable of the landowner planted a vineyard. Remember, and he sends uh, servants to go, and they keep sending them away or worse. Um, and then finally he sends his son, and then they kill his son. And um, Yeshua uses the passage from Psalm 118. Um, Evan Ma'asuhabunim, right? The stone that the builders rejected. Has become the chief cornerstone. This is from the Lord is marvelous in our eyes. So this is from Psalm uh, 118. And then I think what Gary's getting at then is the setup gets us to verse 43, where Matthew records for us. Therefore, I say to you, Yeshua says, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people. And this is that word ethnos who will produce the fruit of it. And then it says, he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Uh, And then verse 45, when the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they understood he was speaking about them. So, okay, so that's the the context. And Gary's question, I don't have the email in front of me, but he's basically saying, if I remember correctly, is this back to 43 the kingdom of god being taken away and then given to an ethnos is that a shift in or how are we to understand that is that authority given to yeshua's disciples uh and i would say it's it's hang on uh, he said he says this he said could matthew 21 33 43 be a hint of taking away the authority of the elders leaders and give it and giving it to the apostles oh thank you that's right um i he used the word elders and i would say well matthew doesn't use the word elders here matthew uses the the chief priests and the pharisees so um elders isn't a word used in matthew in this context so i don't know if we want it what we'd be gaining by imposing that but i my presupposition is that gary's talking about the function of elders in Jewish communities based off the Torah of hearing cases in the city gates and then giving, making decisions, you know, making legal 
decisions for the community. Is that how you understand that? What, yeah, Gary's I, think, question? I, I think that's how I understand Gary's que- question. Yeah, and, and so my view is that this is, you know, and I'm interesting because I looked at Dr. Mark Kinzer's reading of this. Um, he, he suggests that um, rabbis from the Mishnaic period, so later, could read this parable and actually agree with it and then but suggest that they are the people to whom it was given in other words uh kinzer's point was well the rabbis could later rabbis of course could hear this parable and think that yeah we're the ones you know god destroyed the temple and he took away those authorities and he gave it to the rabbis right and the rabbis are the ones that are now producing the fruit I don't think that's what Yeshua meant at all. <laughs> I don't think Matthew <laughs> thought that at all. Um, Matthew envisioned the a continuance of scribes and Pharisees, I think, for for a while, and that Pharisees did become believers. It's not that all the believers became Pharisees. It's Pharisees became believers. Uh, the book of Acts tells us that there were Kohanim that became believers, and there were scribes that became believers. So what's happening when I say they're becoming believers? It means that they're, they are, by God's grace, participants now in the new life of the resurrected Messiah. And, that's, and, and that is uh, the core central foundation of who they are, how they understand history, biblical history, how they understand the Torah, how they understand Israel's um, fall into sin and how Israel would be uh, redeemed along with the nations of the world that to create a a people for God that were after his heart, new new creation people, etc. So, um, and I see that the, uh, the Tanakh and then, so the canon of the scriptures that the Pharisees and the scribes upheld, and then the apostolic writings are, together the whole product of the triune god in history basically and that that authority is solidified now so um so the the way that i the way that i have understood this is that uh is that the authority of the scriptures was given to the to to israel right and paul tells us this in romans right um, and, but what has happened is that the Messiah has come as the prophets have, have foretold and the, uh, leaders of Israel, the, the Jewish people as a nation of Israel has now rejected, rejected the son. And so that, the authority of the scriptures has now been taken the interpretation. They they've missed it. They've, they've rejected the prophets. That authority of the prophets has been rejected by by Israel as a nation, and therefore that authority is now being taken and given to someone else. And who is it? It's the Gentiles. He's making a people that is not his. This doesn't discount the fact that the Jews are that Israel. I shouldn't even say Jews. That Israel as a nation is not God's chosen people. It is, and we see in the in the prophecies that uh, after a certain time, Israel will come to the the Messiah. And that his people will be redeemed, and that they will be brought into the land, and that they will once again serve the living God. So that's uh, replacement theology needs to be taken completely out of the equation here. 
but rather the interpretation of of the uh, of uh, the leaders and of Israel as a nation that Yeshua is not the Messiah is rejected, and that authority is given to the people who have seen, who have accepted the the coming Christ. That's how I see it. Thoughts? Am That's I right. off? Okay. No. That's right. Well, good job, Rob. You you wrap that up in. 28 minutes or in eight minutes sorry yeah Good so job. yeah that, that that's one that gary had sent uh, several weeks ago and and it i thought it fit today because of our we were talking about teachers at the beginning with that first john passage and um you know all right well it's been a good one i've had fun i hope everyone else did too good show good discussion uh, thanks to sue for becoming a uh, executive producer and if you'd like to become an executive producer, you can do so by going to TorahResource.com, hovering over media, going down to Messiah Matters. And then there's a pop-out that'll come out. Click on that pop-out and you'll, you'll uh, be able to yeah, figure out how to do that. We want to thank all of our supporters. Um, and we, I know that we haven't posted in two weeks in Messiah Matters more. We will fix that. We'll probably record something either later today or tomorrow. Um, we haven't talked about it, but we'll try to figure that out. And, uh, yeah, so thank you to everyone who's been in the uh, chat room. Lively discussion today. We had a good turnout. We hope this uh, episode has done one thing. That is to glorify our great God and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. Why? Because Messiah matters. Messiah matters.